Well, we um, take up our, uh, our rest of our time this morning looking at the Word of God, and I'm excited to walk you through a very interesting verse, very intriguing verse. Um, perhaps you're familiar with it, perhaps not. Um, but I would ask if you take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Now, what do we want to think about going into this new year? Um, there are many biblical truths that we might do well to remind ourselves of as we launch into 2022, but given the current distress of our society, the weakening condition of the body of Christ at large, and our ongoing study in the book of Hebrews, it makes good sense to me to focus our attention on the future blessing that God has for us, which is also one of our greatest motivations to avoid things like drifting and temptation and stay the course in this new year to come. You've heard me say plenty of times since we began the book of Hebrews, and I'll say it again now, that this truth of God's future blessing has a tremendous impact on the Christian's fight of faith. It's arguably one of the most beneficial truths that God has given to us. We've come to understand and appreciate it from our study in Hebrews, but it's all over the Bible. In fact, you know full well that the writer to the Hebrews uses the Old Testament saints, the champions of righteousness of old, as examples, sterling examples, of just how powerful this truth is for getting believers up spiritual hills and past obstacles and through valleys and eventually to the other shore. So let's rehearse it again, this time from the book of Daniel, the end of the book of Daniel, which is a passage that talks about the end of time. passage is Daniel 12, verse 13. And it goes like this. He said, Daniel, as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. What a verse. Very interesting, to say the least. It belongs to the theme of perseverance, staying the course, fighting the fight of faith because of God's future blessing. Now, the way I would like to bring the practical significance of this verse to you this morning is by uh, propositions, much in the same way that the Puritans did themselves. And you, you, if you're familiar with any Puritan writing, you'll see that, Jonathan Edwards especially. So I have eight propositions that I've taken directly from this one verse, and there are likely more that we could discuss, but we have only time for these eight in uh, the space we have today. So you'll find them published in your bulletin just to save time. And I want to say that by proposition, I mean a thesis, um, a hypothesis, something I'm, I'm arguing to be true from this from this verse in its context. And hopefully you will see how I arrive at each one of these. The first proposition then has to do with the way of God's command. The way of God's command. And this is the proposition. The way that God commands believers to go is His way. 
that they make their own. The way that God commands believers to go is his way that they make their own. That's the proposition. And that comes from Daniel 12, verse 13. God commands Daniel, go on your way. Now this command comes in the context of very, a very terrible future. Terrible future events that, that have their start in Daniel's lifetime and will go right to the very end of time. And as frightening as they may seem, God tells Daniel to continue to live his life as he has been. Now, we shouldn't think for a second that God is giving Daniel here some freedom or the right to define the way of life, the way that he should go himself. All unbelievers, of course, do just that, right? They carve out a way of life for themselves according to their feelings and wants and what will justify their ungodly lifestyle. And sadly, many in the church have been following suit. But this is not what God was commanding Daniel to do. That would be actually contrary to everything that the Bible teaches, right? The Bible teaches that there are only two directions in life, a godless one and a godly one. And the two are diametrically opposed to each other. One sage declares there is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end it's the way of death. Another says that the way of the transgressor is hard, both speaking, of course, of the exact same way. The Apostle Paul would write much later in his magnum opus, the book of Romans, about the way unbelievers go. He said they, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, so God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. In other words, God lets depraved people go their own way, and that's really a form of judgment. Praise be to God that, we, that he has saved us out of our own ways and has given us a new way in Christ, which is, of course, the other way. Only two. This is the other one. The Old Testament saints also believed and anticipated this new way for sure. Isaiah declared in Isaiah 53, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. Jesus had to come in order to change the course of our direction in life and deliver us out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. Jesus himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he even showed us the right way to live. Is it any wonder why Christianity was first called the way before it was called Christianity or referred to them as Christians, it, it no doubt boasts of the right way to live before a holy God. That's why. So when God's command, God commands Daniel, go on your way, we can be sure that he means continue to go my way, which Daniel adopted in his childhood. That's the way of eternal life, the biblical way of living, a godly lifestyle that Daniel would maintain throughout the book and really before three successive world powers. The idea here is continue in God's way. Stay the course mapped out for you in his word. Continue as you've been, Daniel. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't give in. But persevere. This is the way that God commands. 
Now, it's refreshing to see that God's counsel comes to Daniel in, for, in the form of a command. He obviously needed a push. He was frail, as we all are. And God strengthened him by this command. You know, back in chapter 10, where Daniel first has the vision of a being, he was initially paralyzed with terror at the sight of this being, this man in his vision. Many scholars believe this man to be the pre-incarnate Christ because Daniel's description of him actually matches the description that John gives of the post-resurrected Christ in the book of Revelation. At any rate, God speaks to a frightened Daniel, and it's his words that infuse strength into Daniel's spirit. Listen to Daniel's own testimony in verse 19. Oh, uh, he said, O oh man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, this is Daniel speaking, I received strength. And I said, may the Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. What a graphic example of how the word of Christ enlivens and emboldens us. If this indeed were the pre-incarnate Christ, then it is the same Christ that emboldened David who emboldens, emboldens us. Christ speaks to us in the pages of his word, and we are strengthened by them in our spirit when we study them. So as we embark on this new year, we need to continue to go on our way, which is God's way, the way that he commanded us to go. Number two, second proposition, talks about the need for God's command. God's command to us to stay the course to the end of our lives is all the more needed because it comes to us specifically in a context of distress. God speaks this command in a context of distress, which makes the command all the more necessary. The, verb, uh, the verse before us is repeated twice. Okay? The first time is in verse 9. And it's, and it's stated there in abbreviated form. Daniel, go your way to the end. But then it's, it's, uh, it's stated in a fuller version in verse 13, which is what I read for you at the beginning. Now, verses 10 to 12 come in between those two verses. And they show us that God's command doesn't occur in a vacuum. No, it occurs in a context, and a context, according to these three verses, of fiery ordeals. Listen to these three verses. The divine voice says, Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be... 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. All right, well, it's not my purpose here to explain this prophecy, which is fulfilled over centuries of time to the end of time, where God will judge the living and the dead. What we need to understand is simply that it lays out the end times for us. And it is a period that is filled 
with persecution for all Christians who live in them. In chapter 12, up uh, in verse 7, Daniel actually talks about, or the, the vision, in his vision, it is mentioned, the shattering of God's holy people. So the persecution heats up in the end times, gets, gets hotter as the end times get closer to the end. Now, my point is simply this. In these three brief verses, the divine speaker actually is referring back to his more detailed prophecy laid out in chapters 10 and 11. So verses 10 to 12 are really a parenthetical thought. Daniel started uh, with this command of God in verse 9, but then he interrupts it with a parenthetical thought and then returns and finishes the command, putting, you know, the words of, of uh, speaking the words of God. This is what God said to Daniel. Now, the reason they're, they're um, interrupted with this parenthetical thought is, is in order to emphasize just how needed the command, go your way, is for Daniel. Now, we often do the same thing in our own discourse with people. For example, a father highlights the hazards of a journey that his young adult child or son is going to take cross-country. And he tells him, now, John, listen, it is a long journey for such an old car as yours to take. You could break down. Tires could blow out. The radiator could overheat. A small stone strikes the windshield and shatters your windshield. There's no telling the causes of an accident. So, John, go with a triple-A card and... If you find yourself on the side of the road in the, in the middle of nowhere because a deer ran out in front of you and totaled the front end, you will be glad you did. Notice the brief repeat of what could happen in the middle of the advice to take the AAA with him. It underscores for the young man just how important it is that he take the card with him. And God does the same thing with Daniel. Now, Daniel, go your way. And then there is this brief parenthetical thought that recalls three chapters of terrible end times. And then he picks up with the rest of the command in verse 13. Now, as I say, regardless of your eschatological position on, on chapter 12 or chapters 10 to 12, you can certainly agree that verses 10 to 12 refer to the end of days, including the close of history itself and the terrible cataclysmic events that lead up to it. And it's quite natural for anyone facing times of extreme distress to ask, what do I need to face such a context? That's a great question. The answer is simple. You need to obey the Lord's command to go his way. I want you to notice that there that, that these three chapters that predict such terrible times ahead end with God's command to go your way. The placement of the command in this context of tribulation is deliberate. It comes at the end in order to show God's people just how necessary it is that they follow his instruction, especially when they face such times as these. The divine voice to Daniel essentially is what you need to face the turbulent times of the end, Daniel, 
is to persevere in my way and in the blessed hope of the coming of my Messiah. Do you realize that the New Testament generally follows up descriptions of the end times with an exhortation to those who will live through them to persevere? Oh yeah, it's a natural way. A natural uh, uh, occurrence all throughout the New Testament. Think of Matthew 24. It's a classic passage on the end times. When when the disciples asked Jesus when he would return to set up his kingdom, Jesus doesn't give a straightforward answer or just a straightforward answer. He gives, of course, a straightforward answer, but he includes in that answer admonitions throughout his answer as to how they should live through it. Now, the passage is 52 verses long. Notice how many times Jesus breaks his thought with an admonition on how they should live. He actually begins with an admonition in verse 3. This is Matthew 24. He says, see to it that no one leads you astray. All right, that's a command. You are responsible to make sure that no one leads you astray. We could say it other ways. Be discerning. Watch out. You know better. That's the idea. Then again, after another reference to false prophets misleading many, he says in verse 13, the one who endures to the end, that's the one who will be saved. Of course, the implication is you need to endure to the end. You need to endure. The idea, of course, is obey Jesus' words to the end. And the other one, much lengthier, comes in verses 23 to 26. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance, so that if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. More responsibility on our part. These are admonitions. Jesus slips in in verse 35 the assurance that only his words are reliable and enduring. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Then winding down his message, Jesus interjects another admonition in verses 42 and 44. I'll put them together. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Now you see how he intersperses as many as five clear admonitions about how we're to respond to the end times until he returns. And there's no question that his disciples understood them perfectly. They should listen and follow and trust him and his word, not the false teachers and their teaching. By the way, the command to Daniel 12 in Daniel 12, 13 implies that Daniel would have known the difference between truth and counterfeit, since by this time God's way had become his way. And likewise, Matthew 24, Jesus expects us to know the difference as well. Believers know the truth. It's the scripture. So they have no excuse for for failing to recognize counterfeit gospels, Christ's and counterfeit applications. 
So as we launch off into the uncertain and uncharted waters of this coming year, we need to remain steadfast in the Scripture, which defines in no uncertain terms the way that we must go. Number three, the credibility of God's command. The credibility. God has ordained persecution for the good of his church. Therefore, who better than he to instruct us how to live through it? Do you see how that works? The world, the world run by the evil one is responsible for sin, decadence, immorality, and godlessness of the end times. But let's not think for a moment that God is caught off guard by any of it. He actually ordered it all, right? The end times, as terrible as they are, is part of his purpose. And not just for human history, but also for, the, for church history. Christians, shortly after Christ ascended to heaven, faced severe persecution from Rome. For nearly 200 years after, until the Emperor Constantine made Christianity its official religion in 312, overnight. We also know that roughly 100 years before Luther, Christians faced persecution from the Roman Catholic Church. Jan Hus was among those martyred as early as 1415. And persecution would continue through the start of the Reformation in 1517 up until the uh, up and, uh, through the start of the Reformation in 1517, right up until the, the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648, which ended the 30, year, 30 Years' War and, and the official close of the Reformation. That amounts to 233 years of persecution and martyrdom. And in our day, well, it's certainly a trial period for the Church. No question about it. We're experiencing a season of apostasy and compromise, our country has redefined morality, spirituality, has determined for the masses what's the right and the wrong way to go and dictates to us the way we should go. Now, we would be quite wrong to think that God has nothing to do with this. God ordained our distressing times assuredly as he ordained Judas' betrayal. God, you see, is so great and so sovereign that he can ordain the plans and intentions of wicked people to succeed for a time because, in the grand scheme of things, he will use them for the good of his reputation and the good of his church. So while living in any part of this end-time period will be unsettling and difficult for us Christians, we certainly need to be, not need to be concerned at all because God is in control. More than that, we have every right to be confident in the way that God calls us to go in these times, no matter how unnatural the fallen world makes God's way seem. We need to trust God, not the serpent. We need to listen to him and reject the candy apple delights that Satan, that are Satan's lures. Our sovereign God had determined the course of history and the Christian course within it and your courses within it. Who better than he to command our thoughts and our actions and guide us through tribulation successfully to the other shore? Number four. Number four is the nature of God's command. 
God command, God's command is especially encouraging for us when it is apocalyptic in nature. When it's apocalyptic in nature. Verse 13 reads this way. Go on your way, Daniel, then you will enter into the rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Rest refers, of course, to full redemption in this context, which comes with the resurrection of the body. Following that, God rewards believers that are rewards believers um, and, and the rewards are befitting their investment. By the way, Daniel 2.13 is one of the clearest statements on the resurrection in the Old Testament. Just so, in case you're wondering about that wonderful verse on the resurrection. Now let me back up a bit and say this. God has seen fit to deliver his precious word to us by a number of different genres in the Bible. Genres. What are they? Well, a genre is a category of literature. And there are a number of them in the Bible. We have poetry, historical narrative, law, gospel, epistle, wisdom, and so on. And each is meant to impact the reader of Scripture in a different way, which just shows us how relational God made his word. Another literary genre that you should be familiar with, then, is apocalyptic literature. It's designed to encourage believers to press on in their spiritual race, no matter how bad it gets, simply because God will prevail. That's apocalyptic literature. Now, I'm not talking about Bible prophecy. That's broader. Where both have to do with the future, prophecy predicts various outcomes of in different times in the future. It predicts the near future. It predicts the far future. It, too, is by nature encouraging. We all know how important fulfilled Bible prophecy is for evangelism. It's a great place to take Bible skeptics and show them just how true and reliable God's Word is. For believers, apocalyptic literature is a great place to go for strength and comfort and encouragement because it focuses on the very end of time. That is, how time will wind down to the end and what happens at that very point. According to the Bible's apocalyptic literature, such as parts of Daniel and the entire book of Revelation, God prevails. His truth prevails. His justice is meted out. God judges and sentences Satan and his demons, and all who reject Christ. And he rewards his redeemed own. Go on your way, Daniel, God commands, then you will enter rest and rise again for your allotted allotted portion at the end of time. That is the exact same promise to us as well, and it doesn't get any better than that. As we embark on 2022, let go Uh, let's go rather, on God's way, for there's no doubt that that way dead ends into heaven where there is everlasting joy with our first love. Number five, the wisdom of God. We find God's command for living in uncertain and distressing times to be nothing less than wise counsel. This is wise counsel in Daniel 12, 13. Very wise. Great thing about the Christian life is not, is, is not 
just that we don't have to guess about human, how human history will end, but we also don't have to guess about how we should live as history races inevitably toward that end. No, not at all. God's way that Daniel adopted as his own, as we have as well, is our wisdom. It's our spiritual roadmap to get us through the end times to our end. Scripture is the greatest asset to the faith. Sadly, many Christians don't often see that because the greatest doesn't always mean the easiest, as we all know. God's way is completely opposite, you see, of the immoral and depraved current of humanity. And if we go God's way, well, it becomes painfully obvious to both of us, and uh, both us and unbelievers, rather. Because the world, and specifically the declining Americanism that we are living in, perceives God's way to be unnatural, unhealthy, unfriendly, hostile, of course, racist. We should never doubt for a moment that God's way is the right and wisest way on which we should go, no matter how foolish it's made out to be or how hazardous it can become to travel. We should remember as we head into the new year that God's way dead ends into glory for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, Jesus says, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Number six, the motive of God's command. The assurance of entering into God's rest through resurrection and receiving what he has allotted for us is our greatest motive for going on our way to the end. It's the greatest motive. There can be no question as we read verse 13, Daniel 12, 13, that embedded into God's command was the assurance of a perfect outcome for Daniel. Perfect outcome. God didn't say, go your way to the end and leave it at that. There is a good reason that Daniel should live by God's truth to the end of his life, and that's because it will usher him into the very presence of God with great reward. Daniel was assured of this. You see, assurance of salvation is not just for those who may doubt God or even doubt their own salvation in uncertain and spiritual hostile climates. It's certainly that, but it's more than that. Christians will find that reminding themselves of this promise is also a worthy war strategy in the fight of faith. Jesus gave this very assurance to his weary and frightened disciples, right? John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Paul knew this assurance. It motivated him to stay the course in difficult times. This is the testimony at the very end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. By the way, that's code word for going God's way. 
In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He was motivated. And Peter urges us to holy living in the end times with the great assurance of a blessed end. He writes, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. As we enter the new year, beloved, be motivated to go on God's way by its assurance of resurrection and reward. Number seven, the proving of God's command. We demonstrate that we are genuine believers and qualified recipients of God's reward by going this way to the end. Perseverance in the way is prescribed in Daniel 12.13. Notice the subtle cause and effect relationship between the two parts of verse 13. God commands to, God's command to Daniel comes in the first part of the verse, go on your way to the end. The second part of the verse begins, then you will enter into the rest and rise again for your lauded portion at the end of time. Obviously, God is, isn't promising Daniel that he will live to the end of the age, but he will receive a reward at the end of the age through resurrection from the dead. But the relationship between the two parts of this verse is causal. Did you, do you catch that? If Daniel truly belongs to God, then he will persevere to the end of his life and receive a reward at the end of time. If this sounds strangely familiar, that's because the writer of Hebrews teaches the same truth in several places in his letter, especially chapter 11, verses 13 to 16, which we heard read this morning in our scripture reading. It showed that the Old Testament saints were looking for heaven. They were living in, in reaching for it because that's what genuine believers do. Only God's people live this way and will enter the better country. He certainly believed that those in the church who persevere in godliness to the end of their lives do so not, not to achieve salvation, but because they were saved to begin with. And that is how saved people live. We're talking about the writer to the Hebrews and, and his, uh, his understanding of this, and he's quite right. That's how Paul lived. We just saw that from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. No one can live a life of obedience to God who is not first born again. If you don't know the Lord personally, haven't been made alive by the work of the Holy Spirit, haven't been haven't borne the fruit of faith and repentance, then try as you may to live according to the Bible, you will find it to be a very exasperating and short-lived enterprise. It's only those who have been delivered from darkness to light, from condemnation to eternal life, who desire 
to obey the Lord out of sheer love for him and will remain loyal to him to the end. They'll be characterized by obedience. And this is what I mean by proving, the proving of God's command. God's commands will prove you to be either counterfeit or genuine sons and daughters of God. We begin this new year with a firm resolve then to persevere in the faith to the end of our lives because we belong to God. Finally, number eight, the rewards of God's command. God has ordained an allotment of eternal rewards for those who remain faithful to the end of their lives. All that we've said so far by way of propositions show us just how rewarding it is to live by the word of our creator and sustainer. This last proposition in the lineup focuses on eternal rewards that God stands ready to give us when all is said and done and we're with the Lord forever. God speaks to Daniel of his allotted portion. That's an interesting phrase. It suggests that Daniel, as a genuine believer, faithful believer, will not only receive a reward at the end of time, but receive exactly what God has allotted or ordained for him. The Old Testament gives us very little information regarding our allotted portion in glory, but the New Testament does give us quite a bit. It calls them rewards our allotted portion. Of course, eternal life is certainly one of the the great rewards of have uh, rewards of the of the uh, saved life and motivation enough for any believer to press on, but according to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul speaks of rewards in addition to eternal life. And they correspond to the kind of work that we do for God in the name of Jesus during our lifetime. Here's what he says. Each man must be careful how he builds on this foundation of Christ. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Building here obviously refers to our Christian lives and how we invest in the kingdom. We can waste time that God has given us to serve him. We can listen to the wrong people. We can engage in fruitless endeavors. Or we can be busy ministering for Christ making each moment of our lives count for the kingdom, planning how we will use our time to make eternal differences in the lives of others, and so on. Either way, on the day that we stand before the Lord, his assessing fire will put all that we have produced for the kingdom to the test. And what remains brings God's corresponding reward. Apparently, some will have nothing to show for their time spent on earth as believers, and they will suffer loss. This passage is at the same time exciting and sobering. We haven't time for a proper exposition of it, but suffice it to say 
that there is enough just from this cursory reading to motivate us to work harder for the Lord in all areas of our life. And that is the proper attitude to have going into this new year. We should look at 2022 as an expression of grace and mercy to us. God gave us another year in which to invest in the kingdom. Well, God's commands to us to go his way, and it is the only right way and godly way to go, is a great command. Such a command is indispensable. It's very much needed. It's likewise credible. It's encouraging by nature. It's wise. It's motivational. It exposes truth from error, and it's rewarding. Rightly did the psalmist say, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. As we begin a new year, take out your day timer and plan your weeks and months around worshiping God, both private worship as well as communal worship. Reserve private time with your first love praying to and communing with him. Resolve to be more God-conscious. Determine to know the word better this year, to use your spiritual gifts more, to tell people about Christ, fellowship with God's people. Start, starting with the members of your own local church. Use God's time wisely. Invest in the kingdom. Glorify God with your bodies. Go on this way your way, God's way, to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Our Father, we thank you for this time together and for the word that you have preserved for us, an ancient word which, which has new and profound application. Lord, we do pray that we will know your way better, that we might make it our way all the time, that we will travel and not get weary, that we will fight and not give up, that we will run and not slow down because we know what awaits. We pray that we would all be so encouraged today because because of, of the truth that we have studied this morning. And we pray that we will carry it with us into this new year and that we will put feet to it. And Lord, we, we do await your appearing. We long for it. And uh, we are so grateful that you have promised to come back for us, take us to be with you. What a great promise with great motivation, with great truth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.